first of all, I want to just thank the congregation and the body just praying for me over the last three weeks. It's been a difficult, challenging journey. As you notice, my voice is not quite the part today. So we will get through this together with the Lord's strength. Amen? Amen. Let's begin in prayer. Lord, thank you for the opportunity and the privilege we have to hear from your word. Use your servant to bring your word with clarity and with truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. When we've been in this uh, study of Philippians, and um, we've learned a lot about this topic of joy. And early this week, uh, I was listening to a a song on the radio on WGTS, and the name of the song was called Nobody. I'm sure some of us probably have heard that song. It's often played on the radio. It's performed by Casting Crowns and featuring Matthew West. Now, I promise I will not sing the song for you today, okay? You do not want Barney Fife to ruin the worship service, okay? For those of you that get the joke. But the lyrics go something like this. The writer says, because I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I am living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I am living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I've heard this song many a times on the radio, but it really hit home this week as I was listening to the lyrics. And I was thinking of a sister in Christ that I met at MPH camp this year. You can see on the picture on the screen. Uh, this is uh, our sister in the Lord, Altanya. And she just has a very positive perspective in life. She has a great love for the Lord, great love for the people in her neighborhood. And she genuinely cares for her neighborhood. And the next picture, though she is limited in her mobility Altanya wants to serve the Lord and hurt people. I noticed on the picture there, Pastor Chris, one of our pastors, photobombed the shot there. So. But, but Altanya's got a, just a great love for the Lord. And she has reached out to the widows, to those in need in the neighborhood. And she called out the camp staff and says, hey, I want these people to be helped. We don't get any help here. And so she took it upon herself to get out of a comfort zone and connect with the MFUT staff. And during camp, we were able to work in a neighborhood and clean up the people's backyards and doing some different projects. And she really was thankful that we were there. We were an answer to prayer from the Lord. Here she is sitting and giving us instructions on what we're going to do throughout the week. She's sitting on the chair there. She reminds me of a sister in the Lord who is a missionary Uh, in Michigan, her name is Della, because she has the same love and passion for people, especially those who are poor and are living in poverty. And as I look at Tanya, as I met with her, and I just could see the joy in her life. Though she lives in poverty in a difficult part of downtown Philadelphia, she is shining brightly for Jesus. She's a shining star 
in a dark and a hopeless community. Now, she doesn't find the joy in her life in her external circumstances, but she finds her joy in her relationship with the Lord. As Christians, our true source of joy is Christ. And he's the one that we need to show the world. As Tanya is showing Christ and Jesus to her community. Paul, in the letter of Philippians that we've studied, he talks about this topic of joy. He wants the believers to experience joy, but also to be able to share that joy with others. And I was really encouraged by the youth and the adults that went to camp this, uh, this summer and the joy that they expressed in wanting to serve those in need. See, Paul challenges all believers, and he, ch- and he challenged even the Philippians that they were to be a light in the world. See, they had, they had slipped up. There was division in the church. There was quarreling. There was bickering. There was complaining and grumbling in their midst. And Paul says, that is not the way that we should live as Christians, as followers of Christ. He said to them, do all things. Not some things, not just the things that you like, but do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? Why is that? Because the world is constantly looking at us. They're constantly looking at how we are responding. As Christians, we are called to shine our lights, to be blameless, to be above reproach, and thus proving to be children of God. See, we want the world to see Jesus through our actions, through the way we live our life. And Tanya is one of those bright, shining stars in Philadelphia. You know, the world and the government has forgotten about the people in Altania's neighborhood. But the Lord and his people, including Altania, are bringing light and hope and joy in their lives. And that's the opportunity that we had this summer to bring that joy and that hope to people that had none. Today, we will continue to study uh, the letter of Philippians, and we're going to look at chapter 2 as the passage of Scripture was read. Our focus will be in finding joy, finding joy in serving sacrificially. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We are going to be there for most of our time. Uh, We are going to flip, okay, maybe once or so. Um, as we continue in our message. As we listen to the words of, of, of the song earlier on, I want to ask the question to our church, to our body. As a church, are we pointing people to Jesus? Are you living your life that reflects the attitude and the humility of Jesus? It takes humility to serve Christ. It takes an attitude of service to follow in his footsteps. Paul called the Philippian believers, and he calls us today to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to work out our salvation with complete faithful obedience until the day Christ returns. And one of those ways 
is serving sacrificially as Christ did. Paul, in our previous sermon, gives us the perfect example. Jesus, the perfect servant, the perfect man who showed perfect humility and perfect obedience. In today's passage, the apostle Paul, he's going to turn his attention now to the very same concept that he's been talking throughout the letter, that topic and that theme of joy. And he uses three examples. We're going to look at three examples today of three godly men and how God used them for his service. Paul is going to include his testimony. He's going to be sharing the example of Timothy. And he's going to also share the example of Epaphroditus. We will look at each one and learn about how these three godly men can encourage us to serve Christ sacrificially. First, let's turn to Paul's example. So in your first point in your bulletin, you can fill in. There's not going to be a lot of notes today, okay? So I want you guys to focus on what God is going to speak through the sermon and through his word. First, let's see Paul's example. In the first two verses, verses 17, 18, Paul describes his joy of being able to serve the Lord and his people. And he appealingly, he's going to use this beautiful picture that meant a lot to Jewish people in the Old Testament. He's going to be talking about being poured out as a drink offering. Now, obviously, the Gentiles, the Philippian Gentiles, maybe didn't fully understand what this meant. I know in their pagan ritual cultures, they probably understood the concept of offering a sacrifice or pouring a sacrifice to, uh, to the gods. But Paul here is going to focus on on the importance of the Old Testament ritual. He describes his joy as being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and the service of your faith, he says in verses 17 and 18. This reference of the Old Testament ritual was, was an act of worship. In Numbers chapter 15, uh, I'm not going to ask you to turn you there, but just listen, Numbers 15 and 28 the Lord gives instructions to Moses. Moses has been given all these instructions on how worship is to take place. And he tells Moses, this is how you are to tell the priests on how to prepare the sacrifice and to prepare the offering and what they are to do with it. And so the priest, as he prepared the sacrifice, as he offered the sacrifice to the Lord, he then, as you see the pictures there, he would pour out the drink of offering on the sacrifice whether the sacrifice was a lamb or a bull, okay, or a ram, he would put out the wine on the sacrifice at the altar as an offering to the Lord, which symbolized the dedication of the person that was giving that offering to the Lord. And that's the image that we get from Paul here. He said, I've been poured out. My whole life is being poured out. It's been given to you guys because of Christ, because I care about you. You know, the Apostle Paul is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Not only because he, he, he was the one that spread the gospel to the known world at the time, even in Illyricum in Albania, but because he was a man of courage. One of, the, one of the few that had great courage, though he suffered much. You know, God, God told him at the beginning of his, of his journey as a follower, you're going to suffer a lot, Paul. Be ready. And Paul could have said, you know what? I'm out of here. 
He could have said, you know what? Let somebody else do it. But he decided that he was going to be faithful from that moment on. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians. Paul here gives us a big picture of how he suffered for the Lord. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to read verses 23 to 28. In your Bible, it should be on your left. If you're in Philippians, go to your left, and you should be able to find 2 Corinthians. But here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians to give us that picture of sacrifice and being poured out as an offering. Verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I speak as of insane, I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Three times, sorry, five times, verse 24, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Not just one time, five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. One, I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep, I spent in the sea. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false prophets. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, these are the external things, notice the most important thing. And Paul includes it there because that's just as important as the other ones. Apart from all these external things that I've experienced in serving Christ, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for what? All the churches. Not just the one church over here or the one church over there. Paul has the pressure of all the churches in his heart. So think about the burdens that he's carrying. Think about the external pain, the suffering, but also the internal pain and suffering and the pressures that he, as a minister of the gospel, faced throughout his life. Would you say that he was being poured out as a drink offering? I would say so. You know, I look at the example of Paul. And in comparison, I feel like a nobody. What have I done for the Lord as I look at Paul's life? This man is the godly example that we need to look at as we're serving sacrificially. Don't look at the prosperity gospels who are preaching wealth. Don't focus and look at those who are focusing on selfish motives and, and want to pursue wealth and want to pursue fame through social media and have their own mega church and run their own show. And perform for the crowds. Paul says, look at me. This is what I've been through. And he's telling the same message to the, Philipp- to the Philippians. But notice in this passage, he says, but if I'm being poured out. Because he's probably anticipating something is going to come up. Okay? He's not quite near death. He's almost there. And he says, but if I'm being poured out. We see Paul's life being poured out as an act of worship for everyone. Notice that in his heart, he had every, every church in mind, including the Philippian church. Notice that during this time, as he writes a letter, he's been in prison for two years. And yet, what does he say? Rejoice with me. Rejoice that he has been given his life as an act of service to God. 
In verse 17, he urges them, do not worry, but rejoice and share my joy with you. Verse 18, he says, you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. It's give and take. Paul is saying, rejoice with me, share the joy with with me, but also I want to share your joy with me because I've had an investment in your life. And I want to see what God is doing as I've been giving my life to you. See, for Paul, it was a privilege to give his life for their sake and for the gospel. He saw his life and, and his death as a drink offering, as a sacrifice to the Lord. Would you have the same perspective in life that Paul has that it relates to serving sacrificially? See, Paul's joy was rooted not on those external things that we just read about, on those external hardships. That joy wasn't rooted in those. Nobody wants those things. Nobody wants to experience those things. His joy is rooted in Christ, in his relationship with the Lord Jesus, but also in his relationship with the believers all across the world of all the churches that he established. Let me ask you this question, friends. Are you serving the Lord joyfully? Or has it become a chore in your daily life? Is your life being poured out as a drink offering? It's interesting that at the end of his life, Paul would write this this message to Timothy, his protege. Listen to me as I read this from 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 to 7. You can write that reference down if you want. 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 7. He says, for I am now, notice, To the Philippians, he was saying, but if I'm being poured out, to Timothy, he says this, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to anyone who loved, who have loved his appearing. Notice what Paul says as he's coming to the end of his life and he's writing to Timothy now. He says, my time is up. At this very moment, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I'm being sacrificed for Christ. And he's looking forward, he's looking forward to what? To the reward that he will receive in Christ. We need to have the same perspective and the same attitude of that as Paul. Let's turn our attention to the second example that he mentions in this passage. That is the example of Timothy. You might have heard of Timothy. Timothy was a very close friend of of Paul. They worked together for many years. But their relationship was very unique. Early in the book of Philippians, we learned that Timothy was a bond servant of Christ, just like Paul. Okay? They were both slaves serving the Lord. Now, in other, in other texts in the scriptures, we find out that Paul refers to Timothy uh, as a brother, as God's fellow worker in the gospel. That's 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Paul writes to He writes this to Timothy. He says, to my true child in the faith. Notice the father-son relationship that exists between these two men. 
Paul had a very heightened view of Timothy's character. He and Paul had established many churches on their missionary journeys, and Timothy was with Paul every step of the way. He was faithful as a co-worker of the gospel. He devoted his life to the gospel ministry, even to the end of his life. As a missionary, he served the Lord faithfully, and Timothy, we also know, became a pastor at the church of Ephesus toward Paul's later years in life. Timothy and Paul had a very close, godly relationship. Paul not only saw Timothy as his, as his protege, but he also saw him as a spiritual son. He was a young man of great character, and he was very trustworthy. In 1 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul refers to him as my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Here in our text today, in verses 20 to 23, we see the godly character of Timothy, where Paul tells the church that Timothy has served faithfully with me and that he cares genuinely about you guys. He's not like those guys that he had mentioned early in chapter 1. He's not like those guys who are, who are preaching the gospel from envy and from strife. He, he's not the one that's been preaching the gospel uh, for selfish motives and interests. He's saying, no. Timothy cares about you. He cares about the church. He is faithful, he's committed, he's devoted, and he has shown obedience in his service. Notice how he says it, like a child serving his father. Verse 22, Timothy has been serving Paul like a child serving his father. Now, this meant a lot to the Jewish culture. A son following the footsteps of his father, taking on the business of his father. And here's what Timothy is doing in this spiritual ministry. As, being, as he's being trained by Paul, he's preparing himself to take over the ministry. Timothy is not selfish in his motives. His intentions are pure. And Paul says he's the best man. He's the best person. He's the man that's got the same mind that I do. Okay, he's of the kindred spirit, Paul says in the passage. He's my best representation that's going to help you, that's going to encourage you. Now, Paul was planning on sending, on sending Timothy to minister to the church in the near future. We find that in verse 19. Now, this purpose was twofold. It was for Timothy to go and strengthen the believers in Philippi, but also for Timothy to come back with good news of how the church was doing. Remember, there had been some time. Paul had not heard from the, from the church. Epaphroditus was sick. He was with Paul. The church was miles away, worried. What is happening to our pastor? What is happening to our leader? And here's Paul saying, go. I'm going to go and send you to minister to them and bring me some good news of what God is doing. See, Paul wanted to hear the good news as a result of his visit. Such timing of Timothy's visit obviously would be dependent upon Paul's decision of his trial in Rome. See, Paul and Timothy, like our friend Altania, truly cared about the people and about the church. And they put their interests before theirs. They put the church's interests before their own interests. Paul and Timothy truly are examples of godly men 
who served sacrificially. Now, I was looking online to see what happened to Timothy. How many of you know what happened to Timothy in his life? Any show of hands? Don't worry, it's not a quiz question. I looked on Wikipedia to find out what happened to Timothy. We know what happened to Paul. And here's what, what I found out. According to the, the apocryphal Acts of Timothy, that states in year, in year 97 AD, at the age of 80, Timothy was martyred for the faith. At the age of 80, he could have said, you know what, well, Lord, I'm going to retire and enjoy the rest of my life. We see Timothy serving the Lord in the church. See, he decided to try and stop a procession in honor of the goddess Diana. And in the process of doing that, he started preaching the gospel. And those who were hearing the gospel were offended. The angry pagans, the angry mob, they beat him, they dragged him through the streets, and they stoned him to death. That was the life of Timothy. That was the sacrifice that he gave for the gospel. He died a martyr. See, as we look at Timothy's example, my question to us is, are we truly concerned for the welfare of our brothers and sisters here at PBC? What about those who are like-minded believers in other Bible-believing churches? Are we truly caring of what's happening with Hosanna, what's happening with churches in our neighborhood or even around the world? This brings us to our last example that Paul mentions in the letter. Point three, the example of Epaphroditus. It's a big word to say. I had to practice a little bit. Parents, by the way, this is a great name to give to your kids in the future. It's a son name. It means to be handsome. So if you've got a handsome son, it's according, okay? Be my guest, all right? It also means agreeable because Epaphroditus was agreeable and faithful to the ministry. Let me provide a little context here as we, um, as we try to wrap up, okay? The church in Philippi had this close relationship with Paul as we've talked about, right? It was a 10-year relationship. And they kept in touch with Paul for years. But when Paul was arrested in Jerusalem for sharing the gospel, okay, he was sent to Rome to face his trial there. And the communications between, between Paul and the church at Philippi abruptly ended. Nobody had heard what happened to Paul for almost two years. They didn't know what happened to him. So once finding out that he was in prison in Rome, the church decides we need to send somebody to Paul to care for him, to minister to him, and also obviously to provide for him because he had financial needs. He had other needs that need to be met. And so the church decides we're going to send our pastor, our leader, Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus, he's going to go to Rome to bring words of love, of encouragement, words of sympathy from the church, but also financial gifts. He would spend time in Rome with Paul during his imprisonment. And he not only ministered to Paul in prison, but he also worked in raising funds because what he brought with him, history says it wasn't enough to be able to cover the ministry of the gospel. Remember, God's work requires resources. It requires people. It requires time. It requires sacrifice. But it also requires money. You can't get your food and your bread and other things, right, without food, without money. So Epaphroditus stayed with Paul and said, you know what, I'm going to stay here and help you, Paul, as you are in prison. And during that time, 
Epaphroditus gets sick. The scriptures tell us in this passage, he becomes sick to the point of death. And now the church is worried. Okay? Now imagine, here we are in the first century, A.D. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have phones. No TVs. The only means of communication was writing letters of papyrus, a note here, and send it. It would take months, maybe a year to get to places, depending on who's traveling and how they were traveling. So there's almost a year, a year in, in, in the life of the church. They're wondering, what happened to our pastor? Is he dead? We heard he was sick. What's going on with him? And in Epaphroditus, as a pastor, he's worried about the people in his congregation because he genuinely truly cares for them. So this is where Paul talks about Epaphroditus as an example of a godly man who sacrificed his life. Now, later on, Epaphroditus will recover from his illness. God showed mercy to him and also showed mercy to Paul. As Paul mentions here, he showed mercy to him and to me so that I wouldn't suffer, okay, from his death. I wouldn't be facing agony and pain of losing a brother in Christ. So when, when Epaphroditus was healed at a later time, and once he was fully recovered, Paul gives him the letter to deliver to the church, to let him know, hey, I am sending your pastor back. Look at him. He's healthy. He's recovered. He's back home. Notice the five titles. I want you to just underline those or maybe just write those in your outline. Notice the five titles that, that Paul mentions about this godly man. He refers to him as my brother. Obviously, my brother in the Lord, right? There's that spiritual bond. He refers to him as my fellow worker, okay? That is that, that, is that spiritual work, okay, of God's ministry, okay? There, then the third one, he says he's a fellow soldier, Okay, obviously he was not a soldier in real life. He was a pastor, but he's a soldier for the Lord. And he uses this image of, of soldiering because remember, where are they now? They're in Rome, in a place where they probably see a lot of soldiers, a lot of military activity, right? And he's comparing just like a soldier is obedient and faithful to his commander, to his nation, to his country. Epaphroditus has been faithful as a soldier of the Lord. Later on, he says, he's also your messenger. I am bringing him back, sending this letter with him, this, this letter of joy and thanksgiving. He is your messenger. And last but not least, he is a minister of the gospel. See, Epaphroditus, during the time of need of Paul, decided to stay behind. He could have said, Paul, I need to get back to my church. I need to preach a sermon tomorrow. Or I need to preach a sermon, okay? We've been in this series for a while, right? But he decided, you know what, Paul? You need me right now, and I will stick with you. Is that the same attitude we have toward our brothers and sisters in the Lord? Now, I have seen, I have seen that care and that, and that nurturing and that sacrifice among some of our people here at PBC, people that have sacrificed their time to go and help our community. People who have driven back and forth, getting food for our people in our community. People who have sacrificed resources and have given generously to the Lord's ministry. See, the church at Philippi was concerned about their pastor's health and condition when they found out 
This goes to show that, you know, guess what? We can serve the Lord faithfully on the mission field, but that doesn't mean that we will be immune to hardships and disease. Did you hear what I said? Just because you go as a missionary on the, you know, across the world or a difficult part of the world does not mean that you're going to be healthy. You're going to face hardships. You're going to face disease and illness. My American mom, Lola, some of you may, may know her, was on the mission field for years in Papua New Guinea, a very difficult part of the world, in the jungle, in the jungles of Papua New Guinea. She was there for almost 10 years. Got all sorts of sickness and disease, malaria. After that, she came to Albania and served another 10 years. That's where I met her. And she got sick in Albania just as much as she did in Papua New Guinea because those illnesses and those diseases just continued to get her worse and worse. Epaphroditus got sick even while serving the Lord. But he was not guaranteed that he was going to be healed miraculously. We need to realize that God has a plan and a purpose and he will allow those things because he and only he knows what will be the outcome. But here Paul says to the, to the Philippians, rejoice with me. Okay? Rejoice. Be joyful. Your pastor is back. He's returning with his letter. And you can thank the Lord for how he has used him in the ministry. As we conclude our time today, we look at the examples of Paul. We looked at the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus, three godly men who served sacrificially in different ways. Some lost their lives for the Lord, and others were willing to risk their lives. And notice how Paul, as he concludes the passage, notice what he says. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. See, the whole church of, Philipp of the Philippians couldn't go to help Paul in Rome, but one person could. And Paul says, honor that person. Honor that brother and sister who risks their life in helping and serving the Lord. There was uh, this really interesting saying that popped out as I was studying and preparing for the sermon. I liked what someone wrote about this concept of serving sacrificially. Here's what this individual wrote. He says, many claim to serve Christ, yet few can claim they have nearly died in order to serve the Lord. Let me say that again. Many claim to serve Christ, yet few can claim they have nearly died in order to serve the Lord. You know what? I, I can't say that yet. Can you? We need to thank the Lord and celebrate when those who put their lives in danger for the sake of the gospel return home safely. This will be a blessing to that individual and a great encouragement to the church to see how God is working in those difficult trials and hardships. What's the main practical lesson that we can learn from today as we sum up? We need to hold men and women who are serving God faithfully in high regard. Just like these three men 
We need to encourage and honor our brothers and sisters who have the mind of Christ and they put their life in danger for the work of Christ. There are many workers today, missionaries, military personnel who are serving in the front lines of ministry. We need to pray for them and we need to honor them because that's the right thing. That's what Paul tells us here that we need to do as a body of believers, as the church. As we wrap up our time today, I want to honor a special group of people. As we transition, this this message was actually twofold. I want to honor and recognize the team that went to Fuge Camp this summer. I'm going to be really quickly, okay? So this was the team we took, 14 students and four adults. We sacrificed a whole week in Philadelphia, serving the people in need there. Continue, next slide. The kids did a lot of fun projects, okay? We took time to do worship, to do some fun stuff. Next slide. This is our pastor. Pastor Dave was brought the word of the Lord to us and challenged us to be image bearers where we go. To what? To help people see Jesus because we are all made in his image. Next slide. Here the kids are getting ready for work sites. This was the opportunity where they, they actually, you see a lot of cheering going on there because we got them hyped up to go serve out in the community. And so they would go out to different work sites and serve the Lord in various uh, neighborhoods in Philadelphia. Next slide. Here we see some of our youth uh, cleaning up backyards. These yards looked like jungles when we went there. Okay, weeds up to here. Okay, thick. I mean, you had to really clean up. Uh, Kate over there is working with Amy. They worked in my group. Did a lot of trash pickup, a lot of things. You know what happens in Philadelphia? There's no trash pickup regularly like we have it here. And so people just throw their trash in the, na- in the backyard. And uh, the house next door just had piles and piles of just trash sitting there for probably 15, 20 years. And we went and picked that up. But look at the difference that the kids did of serving the Lord and being the hands and feet of Jesus. Next. Uh, also, we had some youth that cleaned up garages. Okay, they, they, uh, they worked out in, you know, just making things look good and pretty and clean. Next slide. Uh, here, the kids are going and having fun with children out in the park. Uh, do you, you see uh, Lauren there and Brian trying to catch a ball. I think somebody beat him to it. <laughs> um, just an opportunity to spend time with people and to show the love of people, the love of Jesus to people as we interact with the kids. Next slide. Okay, here's Kate and Kellen and Amy in the back. I'm taking pictures, of course. No, I was working. This was somebody else taking the picture. But as you can see, all those things up high. Okay, that's supposed to be just a fence, by the way. When they originally were built, these homes had a probably just a small size fence without trees and weeds. But notice over the years, things have just been grown out of control, and we were there to clean that up. Next slide. Cameron and some of our group leaders uh, stepped up uh, and sacrificed their week away from home uh, to leading our youth and, and, and guide them in our group time, our Bible time, our discussion time. Cameron is doing that. Melody is doing that. And I just wanted them to grow and to serve the Lord in that capacity. Next slide. Uh, we clean up the neighborhoods, piles of trash. We're talking 50 to 100 bags in a straight line. As you see, as you see all those trash bags, I mean, they were just lined up all the way down the street. 
Again, they just throw the trash on the street, okay? And we were there to make it look pretty. And this is Altania's neighborhood that we were talking about. Next slide. Uh, we were reaching out to kids in the community. We had a little block party. Altania opened her home to us. She said, we're going to celebrate what you guys have been doing all week. We're going to invite the community, the kids. Uh, we just had a fun time. This was the block party that we had. We did some dancing. We did some activities with the kids just to show them that we are present there because we love them and we care for them. We care for them just like the Lord cares for them. Here we have uh, Crystal and her best friend Autumn uh, sorting through clothes and working at the shelter uh, for families in need. Miss Sammy also was with this group, but she took the picture. Next. And that was it. Okay, so that's just a quick wrap-up. But I wanted to honor that group. Thank you. I wanted to honor that group just to show that, you know, we don't have to be Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, right? We're never going to be them, okay? We can try to be like them, but God has given you a unique personality. He's given you unique gifts and opportunities to serve, and we can just be the hands and feet of Jesus 